0: The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So the psalmist testifies to the living God, and so we gather here to worship. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to Hal Brady Ministries. I'm so glad you've joined me, and I trust that you'll receive a blessing, both from the word and the music. Now would you please hear the word of God. It comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a moment of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which are thy strength and our Redeemer. Amen. A Christian teacher said, I shall not forget the lesson that I taught some years ago. I was speaking on the doctrine of the cross. And when I finished, a young man stood up and he said, I understand what you're talking about. But so what? You know, I know I shouldn't be surprised, but I continue to be surprised all the time. People come to me often and they say, you know, as far as the cross and the crucifixion is concerned, I just don't get it. Some people who come are believers. Some people are seekers. Some people are unbelievers. But the surprising part is that this is the very center of the Christian faith and message. The Apostle Paul said, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message refers to the story of the sacrificial love of one man who is claimed by millions to be the Son of God. Foolishness to those who are perishing. Later Paul adds these words, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. A stumbling block to Jews. For the Jews, it was absolutely incredible that a man who died on a cross could be considered the Messiah. That was absolutely incredible. Their own law said that somebody who is hung on a tree is under the curse. And besides, they were looking for miraculous signs. But when they looked up there and saw Jesus, this low and meek person, who shunned excitement and yet who wound up on a cross, they just simply couldn't believe he was the Messiah foolishness to the Greeks Augustine was a great philosopher a great scholar who knew Greek philosophies through and through he said he compared the Greek philosophies with the Christian teaching and he could find a parallel in every case save one and that one was the word became flesh and dwelt among us very idea of God becoming human was revolting and then the Greeks felt like that their clever minds and their own backgrounds were marvelous. And when somebody came along and said Christ crucified in their blunt language, they felt like they were crude and not intellectual, and it was even a laughable matter. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The apostle Paul considered himself as one who was being saved. He believed that the Christian message could reach the human heart an exact change and bring about people, human transformation in their lives. During the Lenten season in one rural church, this particular pastor asked various members, week by week, to be the voice of inanimate objects of Jesus' crucifixion. And so he asked this one man named Neil, who was a carpenter, if he would play the role of a nail. He would be the voice of a nail, the nail that held Jesus to the cross. Well, Neil dressed up like a nail, He didn't just act like a nail, he was a nail. He was gray all over, and he talked about his aspirations as a nail. He had aspirations of building big mass sails on ships or building big buildings, but yet he was simply the one that was put through the nail of an innocent man hanging on a cross. At this point, Neil the carpenter began to be uncontrollable in his tears. You see, it was the power of transformation that happened to him through Christ. And so we can see the cross is power. The cross is power. We need to understand that to say the least. The cross is the love of God, the victory of God, the good news of God. The cross is God's love for us. So what do we have to do to get it? I'm talking about to understand the cross and the crucifixion and its meaning. Well, here are a few suggestions for you first. We get it when we see ourselves from a biblical perspective, from a biblical perspective. The person who wants to understand this whole business about the cross and the crucifixion, but who's having trouble getting it, needs to start with a biblical perspective. Let's look here at what the writer of 1 Samuel says. He says, the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, the heart. So how does humankind see? How do we see each other? We might learn a little bit about how we see each other if we look at the commercials and the advertisements that are selling before us. For instance, when we get into our commercials, are we talking about the youth and good looks, or are we talking about older people and wrinkles? Are we talking about self-indulgence and happy consumption, or are we talking about generosity and those kind of things? I think that's pretty clear. We know what we're talking about. Speaking of these commercials, one of my favorites was one that occurred years ago. There was a man and a woman sitting at a table. And this woman looked at the man and said, I have something to tell you. I love you. He responded, I love you too. About that time, the waitress said, do you want one of these beers? And the man responded, I love one. Well, immediately, his, the lady sitting at the table began to have apprehensions. The idea behind the commercial was that he loved the beer more than he loved her. Another indication of how we see each other is the growing practices of practical surgeons. Surgeons who deal with plastic surgery. Plastic surgery. How do we best introduce political candidates? Do we introduce them as people of image or people of substance? You know and I know we introduce them mainly as people of image. I read something not long ago where the late president Lyndon Johnson was talking to Billy Graham about his funeral. And President Johnson said to him, at some point in that service, I want you to tell these people a few things of what I did for this nation. Do you see? There is image. We focus on image. Now, how does the Bible see us? Well, let's look at what Isaiah said. We all are like sheep. We have gone our own ways. Or like Paul said in Romans, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Or like the writer of 1 John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So, I was reading about what a bishop said about some of our sins in modern society. And he said, first of all, we suffer from burnout. He said, we grow weary in well-doing. Then we suffer from sellout. We sell out to the ways of society. And then he said we suffer from washout, washout. We lose the clarity of our purpose. And then we suffer from blackout. We suffer amnesia as to why we came to the earth in the first place. Who of us is not guilty? All right, so how does God see us? How does the Lord look at us? Well, let me tell you, he doesn't look at us the way we present ourselves to other people. He does not look at us as successful or full of net worth, or champions, or winners of trophies. How does he look at us? He looks at us as children of his, born with great potential and great possibility. He looks at us as those who need to be forgiven and those who need to repent. Otherwise, why do we need the cross? There's a story told that happened in just before the World War II. This officer said that this Jewish priest was picked up by the stormtroopers and taken to the headquarters. When he went into the room, he saw at the other end of the room of a fellow Jew that was being beaten to death by two of the German comrades. Well, he went over and immediately they stripped him naked and they told him that you need to preach the message you're going to preach this coming Sabbath. So there he was, humiliated trying to preach, and they were poking him and prodding him the whole time. And all the time he was hearing the cries of that fellow Jew who was dying, his last cries. When I think of Jesus Christ on that cross, I'm reminded of that old Jew, the one who was humiliated, because Jesus was humiliated. He was beaten, and he was slapped, and he was kicked, and he was all of those things happened to him. So when I look at Jesus on that cross, I begin to see something of God's love for me, and for all of us. So I think we need to understand we will get it when we begin to see ourselves in a biblical perspective. And then secondly, we get it when we understand that God's power is uniquely different. I want you to listen to these words from Paul. Here's what he says. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now I want to share with you a couple of things that I read. This comes from Fleming Rutley's, the noted Episcopal minister. She says, whenever Paul talks about the low and despised in the world, the first thing he's talking about is the cross. You see, the cross changes what we consider to be success into something different. The cross makes our success something different. But this does not mean that God has no power. Now I want you to listen to something that Philip Yancey said, this dynamic Christian writer. Yancey says that he has marveled and sometimes openly questioned the self-restraint God has shown throughout history, allowing the Genghis Khans and the Hitlers and the Stalins to have their way. But nothing, nothing, nothing compares to the self-restraint God shows that dark Friday in Jerusalem. With every lash of the whip, Jesus must have, mentally replay the temptations in the wilderness and in Gethsemane. Legions of angels awaited his command. One word and the ordeal would end. But you know and I know that the word never was spoken and the ordeal never did end. He continued to suffer. Now I want to say a few words to you about this power of God that the world does not understand. It's the power of God that the world does not understand. First of all, It is the way of power in humility, in humility. Robert E. Lee, after the war, lived in Lexington, Kentucky. He would receive visitors from the North. These people from the North had servants in their homes and they assumed Robert E. Lee had some in his. So when they would retire at night, they would leave their boots and their shoes outside their doors so that they could be polished. Lee didn't want his guests to be embarrassed. So after they went to sleep, At night, Robert E. Lee himself, the general, would go around and collect the shoes and the boots and polish them. As I said, it's a power in humility. And then it's a power in weakness. Annie Lamont wrote about a friend of hers, a girl by the name of Barbara, who was suffering from Luke Gehrig's disease. Annie Lamont said to her at the end of her life, she said, How are you doing? And this lady couldn't speak, but through the Somehow, through the computer, she typed in the words, and the words came out, I am. And then she typed something else in the computer, and the words came out, the disease is progressing. And then she typed something else in the computer, and the words came out, and the beat goes on. Listen to me. Whenever we connect ourselves to the larger purpose, no matter what happens to us, the beat goes on. We can survive it, and we can make it through it whenever that happens. And then it's the way of power. It's the way of sacrifice. James Forbes was the former minister of Riverside Church in New York City. He said when he grew up in his community, if you felt like God had blessed you, you were under obligation. It was a decent thing to do to connect yourself with some of the interests of God, some of the concerns of God. And that meant sacrifice. And he said there was power in that sacrifice. And then it's a way of power in nonviolence. It is said that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had his weaknesses, but there's one thing he did absolutely right. It had to do with his principle of peacemaking. These people would shout to him, Take your revenge, take revenge, and he would say, No, love. In fact, when the billy sticks were, were going, the dogs were barking, the water hoses were being used, he still loved, not retaliated. And it's because of his love and the love of the marchers with him that their cause was finally won. Their cause was finally won. And then the other thing we need to understand, it's a way of power in suffering love. In the final analysis, there's only one kind of love in the world, and that's suffering love. If a love begins to retreat when the first signs of things going wrong and trouble begins, if that love retreats, that's not love. Paul said, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. Adam Hamilton said when his children were little, he took them to the beach for a vacation. And he said his youngest daughter bought him a cap. It was his birthday. She spent all of her allowance, every dime she had, to give him this cap. He said when he realized what she had done, he said a tear came in his eyes. It was just telling him how much she loved him. Then he said now his daughter's grown up. And he still has that stained cap. And whenever he looks at it, he remembers how much his daughter loves him. When I look at the cross, that's exactly what I remember. I remember how much God loves you and how much God loves me. So it's so, so very important that if we want to get it, the cross and the resurrection, we'll get it when we understand that God's power is uniquely different. And then thirdly, we get it when we focus on God's, deep down, when we focus on God deep down. It is probable that when the cross first happened, the people gathered around said, why was God not there to prevent it? If God had been here, this would never have happened. But what those Christian believers came to understand was that God was at the cross as nowhere else. Now, Jesus didn't just die to fulfill Old Testament Scripture. Jesus didn't die simply to be the only Sacrifice to appease an angry God. Jesus died to show us the length and the depth of God's love for us that's eternal and everlasting and universal. He died to show us all of that. So let me just ask you, let's look seriously at a moment what God did. What did God do? God gave his son, his only son. Would you do that? Would you give your son's life or your daughter's life for somebody else? Let me tell you right off, I wouldn't. I would die for people myself, but I would never kill my child for someone else. If you gave me a list and told me to write the names down that I would do that for, I would say, keep your pen. I don't need to write. There's nobody I would put on that list, absolutely nobody. But God's list includes this entire world. We're talking about the powerful, the weak, the fat, the thin, the old, the young, the Democrats, the Republicans. The Christians, the Muslims, the Jews, the Hindus, and everybody else. God's love includes everybody. So if you're in the world, then God loves you if you're in the world. For God so loved the world. Alfred Lord Tennyson was writing in one of his letters from a place in London. He was staying with a couple of devout people. And in the process, when he got there, he said to his host, What's the news? What's the news today? And his host looked at him and said, I only know one issue of news. Christ died for everybody in the world. And the surprised poet responded, that's old news, new news, and good news. So it is, so shall it be, so shall it be. And then one other thing here, we get it when we bow before it in silent awe. When we bow before the cross in silent awe. Listen, Paul writes, For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. What is being said here in essence is, God comes to us in the cross, and we come to God in the cross. The hymn writer said, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. Way back in the Middle Ages, a monk said to his congregation that he was going to preach on the love of God the next Sunday. So the place was packed and crowded with great expectation. And as they all got in there, the monks sat there and they waited for the sun to set. The sun set on those beautiful stained glass windows. And this marvelous coloring. And then the sun went down and the coloring disappeared. It was dark. At that point, the monk walked over to a candelabra. He took a candle out of the candelabra. And then he walked over to a, a statue that had Jesus Christ on the cross. He took that cross in the blackness of that night and he put it by his hands. Then he put the candle by his feet. Then he put the candle by his side. Then he put the candle up around his brow where the thorns were cutting his forehead and the blood was running down his face. Those people had come to hear a sermon about the love of God. They had not heard a sermon. They had seen a sermon. The sermon had become a reality to them and they were never the same again. There's a story of a little boy who got lost near Charing Cross which is a place in London, England. This little boy got lost outside of the area. And so the Bobbies found him, and he was crying, and they asked him where he lived, what his name was. Finally, the only thing he could say was, if you'll take me to the cross, I think I can find my way from there. Isn't that the way it is with all of us? If you'll take me to the cross, I think I can find my way home from there. So as we approached the cross in silence, remembering the gravity of our sin, and remembering the deep sacrificial love of God. We just stand there in awe. Now let me ask you, what is it about the cross and the crucifixion that you don't get? Let us pray. Lord, how thankful we are for this day and for every blessing that you bestow upon us. We're grateful, O God, we can gather here on Thursday nights. We are grateful for all of these who are with us. And we ask, O God, that you would bless them and minister to them at the point of their need. Where there is sickness, let there be healing. Where there is doubt, let there be faith. Where there is despair, let there be hope. And where there is unconcern, love. Thank you for your love for us expressed in the cross. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining me tonight. I hope and pray that this message and music has been a blessing to you. Please share this program with other people. We'll be glad to have all of you. Blessings on you. Good night.
1: I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and one how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean. In pity, angels beheld him and came from the world of light to comfort him in the sorrows bore for my soul that night sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died Lord.